dictionary defines the gospel four different ways, but it's all kind of tied together. The teachings of the Christian church as originally preached by Jesus Christ and the apostles. Number two, a narrative of Christ's life and teachings as in the first four books of the New Testament. We call the first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Gospels, because it's all about the good news of Jesus Christ. Number three, something that really stood out to me, any information accepted as unquestionably true. Something to think about. How many people out there question what we believe? Everybody does. Nobody really has an idea of what's something that's so true and just you know it's true. But it says here that the gospel, the word gospel, stands for anything that's unquestionably true. And maybe you guys, you might have questions and you don't understand. You're like, well, I know the gospel is when Jesus came, but I don't really understand all that stuff. That's what we're here. We're going to try to answer those questions. And the truth that Jesus came and died so that our sins would be forgiven, his blood washed them away, that's the most powerful truth there is. There's no more consistent, more acceptable truth than that because it makes us able to go to heaven. And it gives us life eternal if we believe in that. And that's what we're going to talk about this weekend. We're going to talk about believing in the gospel and not being ashamed of the gospel and telling others about the gospel. And I didn't want to talk about not being ashamed of the gospel if you guys weren't all sure what the gospel was. Do you believe the gospel? Are you standing firm on the gospel? Because we can't move on past that if we don't have that stuck in our hearts. So, uh, number four, just throw that in there. A doctrine considered of major importance. It's of the utmost importance. This is life and death here. Someone doesn't believe in the gospel, they die or are separated from Jesus. If they believe, they live forever within the heaven. So that's definitely very important. Uh, they used to use this word back, the Greeks used to use it uh, to describe the good news of a military victory. Uh, a messenger would come to the commander and he would say, I have the gospel, we have good news. Like, we, we won. So that's what they, and that's kind of interesting how it, he describes a victory. The good news is that Jesus was victorious over the power of sin and death. This power that sin had in our lives before he died on the cross, people were just, they didn't have any, any hope at all. Jesus died on the cross, and we believe that, and the power of sin and death is broken. And it may, our, our bodies may die physically, but our spirits become one with him in heaven, and we have fellowship with him forever. And he says he gives us a new body. It's not like we're flying around and we, we can't touch anything. We, we have a body. And, and Jesus talked to him about when he was resurrected. He said, that, uh, see that I have flesh and bone. So he, we're going to be able to embrace. We're going to be able to, to love each other. And it's not going to be all mystical. And like, but we're going to be able to feel, we're going to feel just joy and love and peace like we've never experienced before. And that's such an awesome encouragement. Uh, so I want to go to uh, 1 Corinthians like you guys have there. Chapter 1, verse 18. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news. Jesus came. He came from the likeness of sinful flesh. He was without sin, but he was like all of us in the fact that he was human. He could get sick. He could experience pain. If he, like, stubbed his foot on a rock, he could feel that. He wasn't like... 
just crushing the rock when he stepped on it and stuff. He was human, but he was completely God at the same time. Something that our human minds can't understand until we're in heaven. Um, but uh, the good news is this. Jesus came, died on the cross in place of us, took our sin, washed us clean, and he was resurrected. And that's the gospel. And if you believe in that, you believe that Jesus did that for you, that he loves us, if you believe that, then you're, you're one of him. You're one with him. You're saved. And uh, it seems foolish to some people. Like, oh, that's so... That's the only... No, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't buy that. Like, you're going to say that you can live a life that's terrible and you can just do all the bad stuff. And then you have this time in your life when you realize that Jesus died for you and you believe that. And you're going to say that person gets to go to heaven and I've been, I've been living fine my whole life. And I don't really believe that, but I've been living great. And you're going to say, I'm going to heaven? I'm like, yeah, that's, that's true. Because if you don't accept Jesus, Jesus did this for you. That's what everybody was born with sinful nature. And sin separates us from God. If you don't believe in Jesus, then there's no bridge to God. You can't. When God looks at someone who believes in Jesus, he only sees Jesus' blood washing them clean. He doesn't see all the past sins and stuff. But someone who doesn't believe in that, they're not covered in the blood of Jesus. So to some people, that seems foolish to think like, oh, yeah, just believe in that. And you probably know people that are like, that's dumb, whatever. I'm going to just be a nice guy, help old ladies across the street, and just keep going with my life. And then, you know, if my good always the bad when I get to heaven, then I'll get to go in and we'll have a good time. No, that's, that's the world's view. And uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul is talking to the Corinthian church, and he's, he's kind of saying along these lines, it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It seems foolish to people that don't see any hope, and they're just dying in their sins. Some people are just so stuck in the way they are, that they don't even want to see a way out. They're just like, ah, this is, I'm just going to go to hell anyway, so I might as well just live it up. No, not at all. The message of the cross is so powerful. And it says, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Us who are us in this room that believe that, it's so powerful, that truth, the message of the cross. And uh, it says in verse 19, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the truth. doesn't mean he's just going to make everybody stupid. He's saying, the people that think they know, they're like, oh, no, I know better than those stupid people that believe in Jesus. I know better than that. There's more than that. I'm going to with my own to learn as much as I can about the human and all this stuff. And, you know, I'll learn all this stuff and I'll get all this money. And He's saying that, no, he destroys that. Because that stuff is all for their own pride and stuff. God brings to nothing the understanding of the proof. He picks the people that you wouldn't expect. Like we've talked about this in the Bible study, the apostles, we just talked about this last week. The people you wouldn't expect to be the ministers of the gospel were the prime ministers of the gospel. They were fishermen, and the one guy, Simon, he was called the zealot. He used to be so zealous for the Jews when Rome took over, he, they used to, they had this sect called the Zealots. And they would go to a Roman garden in a crowd and just like stab them and run away. Like they just like, and they didn't care about like getting consequences or anything because they were so against what the Romans were doing to the Jewish religion. And then just all these different people, you know, Judas, all these, Matthew the tax collector, all these people that the world looking at would not think 
would be the ones to be able to preach the gospel, but God took the foolish things of the world and made them wise. Um, verse 21, let's get down a little bit. It says, For since in the wisdom of God the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. He's not saying the message is foolish, like it's a foolish thing to believe in God. That's not what he's saying. He's saying... It pleased God. I, I, I like that because it's almost like God's like, you think you know so much without me that I'm going to make the simplest thing for you to accept and it's going gonna, it's gonna to blow your mind and you're not going to understand and you're not going to be able to accept the fact that it's that simple. All you have to do is believe in Jesus and confess that he's the son of God, believe that he died for you. That's all you have to do and you're saved. And that, this might seem hard hitting to some of you guys, but this is the truth. You guys need to know this stuff before we can move on to not being ashamed and to preaching the gospel to other people. Um, but that's so great. It says that the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews, verse 22, request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. So he's saying... The Jewish people, they, they couldn't get past the fact because Jesus was somebody that they knew because he was the son of a carpenter. They couldn't get past that fact. They couldn't see that he actually was the son of God. They didn't believe him because they thought the Messiah would come and reign uh, in, in Jerusalem and, and reign on earth. Um, and the Greeks, they just thought it was foolishness. Uh, it's about Jesus who died. He's just a, somebody who believed in something and they killed him for it or whatever. And it says in verse 24, But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. This might seem pretty crazy to some of you guys. I'm going to try to explain it best I can. It's not saying that God is foolish or has any foolishness in him or he's weak at all. It's saying... The, the wisest men, everybody who has like the most knowledge, is still foolish to God. And the strongest men, everybody has the strength, they're still weak compared to God. And that's what it's saying here. And it's interesting, you know, that this gospel, and we, we tend to look at it as something that's a burden in some ways, that, you know, like, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but don't make fun of me. You know, like, let's go to Romans 10. Uh, this is um, Paul's heart for people who need the gospel, people who don't believe, the Jews. Just try to listen and pay attention. I'll read it for you guys. Pay attention to these words. They're so important. Chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Let's break that down. For I bear them witness that they may have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. He's saying, Israel, they're so, they're so zealous for their traditions and, and the things they need, think they need to do to get to God. But it's not according to knowledge. What he's saying is that they don't understand the truth of the fact that Jesus came and died, and that's what they need to know. That's the knowledge they need to have. They're so zealous, they're so like on fire, but it's not in the right direction. Like it's like having all this energy, like to play football, and someone's like, "Well, you can play tennis." 
And they're like, uh, okay, I guess I'll kind of... They're putting their energies in the wrong place because they don't understand the fact that Jesus died. And that analogy was terrible, but anyway. <laughs> For they being ignorant of God's righteousness. Ignorant just means not knowing. It doesn't mean rude. A lot of people think that ignorant means rude, or they use it that way, but it means to not know. Anyway, uh, they don't know God's righteousness. And seeking to establish their own righteousness. They think that they can do enough good works that they'll be seen righteous in God's eyes. But the only way God sees us as righteous is if Christ's blood has washed us and we accepted Jesus into our hearts. Um, they have not submitted to the righteousness of God. That's something that you don't want to do. You don't want to. That's a double thing. You don't want to not submit to the righteousness of God. You want to submit to the righteousness of God. Because God is willing and He wants to make us completely holy and pure. No matter how we have sinned or done anything, he, God's desire is to make us holy so that we can be in heaven with Him. But we're not submitting to that. He's, he's offering it to us. He's saying, here you go. Here is righteousness. Here is life in heaven eternally with me. And people are like, uh, no, I think I'll just do a lot of good stuff and, and hope that I get in. Like, wouldn't you rather know for sure that you have this and that you are seen as righteous in God's eyes? Righteous is just being holy, being perfect and pure. We might still sin, we might still fall, but God sees us as righteous. Wouldn't you rather have that than have to like worry about, like, oh man, I... I lied today, so I better go. Yeah, go to confession. <laughs> go to confession, or I lied, so tomorrow I'm going to help an old lady across the street. I'm going to give money to a homeless guy, and then that'll erase my life from the day before. And hopefully, eventually, by the end of my life, that'll kind of get me to heaven. No, God wants us to just accept the fact that Jesus can make us righteous. And what Paul's saying here is that Israel couldn't accept that. And they were so zealous for the wrong things. They were so zealous for, this is the way we've done it. This is how we're supposed to do it. And Paul's just saying, no, Jesus made the way. He came to die for us, to save us. Verse 4, it says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. The Ten Commandments. The law that God placed back in the Old Testament. That was not for people to keep perfectly. It was for them to see that there's a problem because we can't keep it perfectly. It's like the thermometer. You don't use it to get better. You use it to see that you're sick. Uh, that's what the law was. And when, he said, when Christ came, people didn't have to worry about that law anymore because he was the standard that we had to live by now. Christ was the, the new law. He was what we needed to put our, our zeal for, was the belief that Jesus died and took our sin. So that means we weren't under the power of that law that would eventually bring death to us because of sin. But that doesn't mean that we have freedom to go out and sin and, and do stuff because, oh, well, God's, God's taking care of me. I, I, he sees me as righteous. No, He wants us to be righteous so that we can be blessed through living holy lives. Um, let's skip down to verse 8. The second part. It says, The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. 
that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth, is that enough? No. No? You have to believe in your heart also. Confessing with your mouth, we've seen people do that and they, they're like, yeah! Like, where are you going? Um, well, I'm going to church. Oh yeah, I'm a Christian too. I don't, I don't feel like I have to go to church. Well, it's not like church is a place that you have to go, but you can fellowship with believers and stuff. And they're kind of like, yeah, well, I don't need that. You know, I, I got my I got my walk with God. Me and God are like this. No, no, you're not. God's up here and you're down on the floor. Like you're never like this with God. I don't care what anybody says. People think because they say, yeah, oh yeah, I'm a Christian too. But they're living like filthy, just wrong lives. They're living for the devil pretty much. They're living for the world. It's not enough to just confess with your mouth, but if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. If you... When you believe in something, like, you really believe in it, like, oh man, this is, this is great. Do you, like, sit there quietly and you're just like, yep, it's awesome, I believe in it, yeah. No, you want to like, like, dude, this is awesome. Check this out. I believe in this so much that I'm going to tell you about it. I'm going to tell you about it. I'm going to tell you about it. We believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, and we believe that Jesus is Lord. We're going to want to tell other people. We're going to confess it. You know, I was living like this, but Jesus came into my life and changed my life completely around. And He do the same for you. You confess it. You're like, you know what? I'm confessing that I used to be terrible, but now I'm seeing this holy in God's eyes. And that's what he's saying. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the bulldogs that come running around your house? Saved from the Ebola virus? Saved from from sin? Yeah. Saved from sin and death? Power that sin has over us? That's right. Verse 10. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness... The heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So, your heart believes. You're like, you know what? I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And your mouth confesses the fact that you're like, Jesus, I need you. I mean, you can pray in your heart too, but sometimes when you feel something so strong, you just you need it needs to come out. You know what I'm saying? You may, your mouth's confession is made unto salvation. Verse 11. We're going to end. With this verse, I'm going to talk about it a little bit. Next time we meet, in a couple hours, I'm going to be talking about not being ashamed of the gospel. That's going to be our our main point of the week. But I wanted to talk about this, because if you guys don't believe in the gospel 100%, you're not going to worry about being ashamed. You're not going to feel as obligated to stand up, because you're not, you don't believe in something. Like, say, like, the Eagles. You don't really believe that they're going to win the Super Bowl that much. Would you really get up and predict Eagles are going to win the Super Bowl and I'll put my money down on it? No, because you can't really tell. If you don't believe in the fact 100% in the gospel, how are you going to be able to stand up for it? Even if you're ridiculed or you're mocked for it. So, in verse 11 of chapter 10, it says, For the scripture says, and this is a, a reference to Isaiah 28, 16, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whoever believes on him, him being Jesus, will not be put to shame. 
And that's the perfect contrast to people being ashamed of the gospel. God promises that if we believe in Jesus, we won't be put to shame. Does that mean we're not going to get made fun of? No. It means we won't have any reason to be ashamed. We won't be put to shame. We won't be... What he's really saying is, in God's eyes, we'll never be full of shame, I guess. That's the way I want to say it. But you're going to be made, you might maybe make fun of, you might have to deal with a couple things that you might not want to deal with. You're like, oh, man, God, why are you making me go through this? I don't think I can handle this. God won't give us anything that we're not able to handle. It says that in Scripture. He believes in us so much that he allows us to get put through this stuff. And um, let me just turn really quick. Let me just, I'll just read this to you guys. I think it's in Colossians. I'm going to hit on this later on. I just wanted to read this verse to you guys. This is it. Philippians 1.29 says, for, you, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, now here is in me. Paul talking to the Philippians. It has been granted to us, not only to believe in him, not only the fact that if we believe in Jesus, we can go to heaven and we can be with him forever, but it's been granted to us. Like When you think of granted, what do you think of? The word granted. Like your wish has been granted or whatever. You know, like grant my three wishes. Yeah. We're granted to suffer for his sake. You're like, wait a minute. What? If you ever had like a genie in a lamp, you're going to be like, uh, I, I hope, wish number one, I want to be trampled by horses. Wish number two, I want to be stretched <laughs> beyond my limits. I want my arms to be like torn off. Wish number three, I want to be beaten to a pulp. Like orange juice. Ooh, yeah. I don't know. But of course it wouldn't be orange. But no, you wouldn't take that. You wouldn't be thinking that that was like a granted thing. Like, oh, thank you, Lord, for allowing me to be beat up today. It was great. I loved it. <laughs> no. But God sees it in a different way. He sees it as something that to be proud of. It's interesting. Let me flip... Sorry, I'm flipping again. In Acts, this isn't where I wanted to go, but this is something that's sticking out at me. Acts is the fifth book after John, before Romans. Acts, I gotta find Romans. It's for Acts chapter eight, I believe. Maybe not. Acts chapter eight. What verse? Acts chapter eight. Let me find it. Okay, here it is. Okay, let's just do Acts chapter 4, I'm sorry. Verse 13. This is very interesting because this is kind of like being granted to suffer, but it's saying that doesn't really make sense to me at all. Why would I want to suffer at all? In verse 13, it says, this is... Um, Acts was written by Luke, who also wrote the Gospel of Luke. This is talking about Peter and John. This is after Jesus was resurrected. 
After what's happened, do you have a question or Sure, go ahead. Um, verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. How about that? The foolishness of the message. The, it also says in 1 Corinthians that um, God takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. It says, and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. They're like, how are these guys saying all this stuff? Like, they're fishermen. They don't know anything. They were considered just like guys that smelled like fish. That's about it. Guys that paid my bills and fed my family because they got fish and I bought it from them. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, talking about uh, they healed a, uh, a lame man that was outside the temple. Um, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go outside, go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them. And from now on, they speak to no man in this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For this, for the man was over four years on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. Let me just read what happened. There was a lame man sitting outside the temple, and, and Peter and John healed them. And he was lame for 40 years, is what it's saying here. They threatened them not to preach and not to um, be in be speaking in the name of Jesus. And they said, you know what? We cannot, we cannot help but speak the things which we have seen and heard. It was so true in their hearts. This gospel, this good news, was so, so burdened upon their hearts that they had to confess it. They had to tell everyone they could about it. How amazing is that? That no matter what these people said, like, oh, we're going to threaten you, we're going to beat you up, we're going to throw you in prison if you keep doing this. You know what? Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. You think your words are more important than what God's telling us to do? For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And that's an encouragement to me. And I hope it's an encouragement to you guys that the gospel will be so burdened on your hearts that you would not be able to help telling people about it. It seems like a good place to We'll come together next. We'll talk about how we are unable and how we shouldn't be ashamed how we are unable to understand some things but God will reveal them to us we're going to talk about not being ashamed and what things might cause us to be ashamed or, and we're just going to talk about different things as we go on this weekend but let's pray and then uh, I think we're going to break up into some smaller groups and uh, just kind of talk over some stuff real quick and then I think we uh, have the outdoor activities. But um, let's pray. And thank God for, uh, for His Word and for um, allowing us to just to minister to. And He ministered to me just in this time so much. Um, so let's pray. Lord, 
you are so awesome to set aside this time for us and to, to meet with us in this, this cabin, Lord. We thank you so much that you are the center of this weekend and not our own fun or our own time to get away from our parents and, and play around, Lord, but the gospel of Jesus Christ is so burdened upon pastor's heart and upon my heart that we feel it necessary to come and to tell your children about it, Lord. And uh, I just pray that you just continue to minister to us this weekend through the worship times, God, just while we're eating, while we're fellowshipping, while we're playing. Lord, we can do so many things as an act of worship to you as long as you are in our minds as we do them, Lord. And uh, I just pray that just as we we break up in our groups as we do skits, Lord, that it would all be an act of worship to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.